I'm Donnie Schatz. I'm Corey Lyson, and this is The Skinny. From Fathead Studios in Speedway, Indiana, this is The Skinny. Hey guys, once again, welcome to the Skinny Ken Stout and Rico Elmore. As always, and two great sprint car drivers have joined us in the studio. The guy that finished third in the points with the All-Star Series one year ago is Corey Eliason. And then out from North Dakota, one of the fat cats. I mean, one of the greatest of all time. Certainly put his name in the top of the charts with the Hall of Famers. We also welcome the 10-time World of Outlaw champ, Donnie Schatz. Don, how's things going out (laughs) westward there? Oh, it's good as could be expected. Uh, everybody's doing their part here. When you go down the road, there's not much happening. I'm staying plenty busy here. It's always a project that I can dump everything out of a kitchen drawer and put it back in a hundred times and put it a hundred different ways. So, <laughs> that's, that's, that's called insanity, but we get it. Uh, so, are you, uh, your guys' uh, truck stop still open, right? Absolutely, the, the truck stops are both open. Um, the restaurants are obviously takeout only, so we're forced to uh, not be having anybody sit down. But uh, everything still operation is normal uh, as far as everything else. I mean, without truck drivers or any truck traffic, we don't, uh, we don't get anything except for internet, I guess. So <laughs> be thankful for that. And we do thank the, uh, the truckers out there because I got news for you. Right now, what's going on? There would be no way to catch up with uh, all these supplies and everything that would need to go out. I'm a former trucker. Ken is a former trucker. And Corey is aspiring to be a trucker, but he can't pass the test. Donnie, we hear about the young guns that are coming through the the ranks these days, and it's not uncommon to hear of a 14-year-old sprint car driver, 15-year-old sprint car driver. It's I'm not going to say it's common, but it's certainly not uncommon. It's been done so many times, but uh, I remember, I want to say back in the early 2000s, there was a kid that came up through the ranks. Really, I want to say around 2004, 2005, somewhere in that area, somebody that was 15 years old, and boy, they were just getting pounded like their parents, why are their parents putting them in a sprint car at such a young age, 14, 15 years old? There's no way he has the knowledge to compete against the, the veterans without making a big mistake, causing a wreck, getting somebody hurt. And then I'm reading a little bit on this guy named Donnie Schatz. And back in 1993, you were 15 years old in your first sprint car race. So the question is, did you guys get any flack because you were so young and in a sprint car? No matter what you do, you're going to have someone that's going to oppose you in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, you know, they, they caught flack for it. But it was something we all love to do. I uh, still still love to do it this day. And, you know, obviously, whatever... 42 minus 15 might be, uh, you know, that's how long I've been going around. So um, I'm, I'm glad that he allowed me to do it. Uh, you know, in today's age, you see kids so, so little, uh, uh, you don't think of the repercussions. In fact, I got nieces of my own that, that are uh, 12 years old and they already got four or five years of experience. So um, this is the nature of the beast in today's age, but uh, I had great parents back in the middle of the Do you feel any different about it now that you're on this side of that? that equation and looking at putting a 14 or 15 year old inside of a car is if you know that they've, they've had the experience and they've worked their way up to it. Do you, do you have any issues with it? I have a, I have an issue with the attitude that goes with it. Um, if a kid thinks that you just get in and, 
you go at, at any cost, whatever it takes to win, whether it's drive through someone, over someone, uh, that that's not something that I've, that attitude or that mentality is not something I'm going to stand for. I've had to do it with my own nieces. You know, they're notorious for putting each other or moving someone out of the way uh, just because they thought they'd be in trouble if they didn't get to that position. And, uh, you know, I, I've done as much as loaded things up and took them home on a Monday night or a Wednesday night because they were hitting things. So um, it's just the way, it's the way I was brought up to race. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's have that attitude that they don't care what they did or what they care about, but it teaches them no respect for anyone on or off the racetrack, and I'm not a fan of that, but uh, you can't be everybody's parents, you can only uh, parents your own or those around you. That goes along with the entire issue, right? I mean, when do they become mature enough to understand, okay, you can't just drive through somebody, you can't take that, that risk all the time, and knowing when it's the right time, when it's the wrong time to take it, and becoming of age. That's that's the big part of the issue. A big part of the equation is they're 14 to 15 years old. They haven't quite figured that out yet, and they find themselves racing next to a Donnie Schatz or anybody of that stature, if you will, and they're in their mind, they're like, this is my chance, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it right here, and I'm going to beat this guy and show him, prove to him that I belong out here. But they're just not quite mature enough. And I'm not knocking it. I'm really not knocking it because there are some young, talented drivers out there that that do possess the ability to do it and make really good decisions, amazing good decisions, to be honest with you. But, man, it's so hard to draw that line because you can't get one without getting some of the other. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I put it back to the parents. I, I can relate to how my father was. My father was very hard on me. Um, you know, he wasn't one that if I went out and did something uh, one time and did something good where he was standing there with, uh, uh, you know, champagne and clapping hands and patting me on the back. I very rarely got a pat on the back. Uh, you know, the older I get, the, the more pats on the back I get. But um, when I did something wrong, I certainly did, did not get a pat on the I expected. Um, if I did something wrong, I got a boot in And that's just the way it was back then. Um, in today's age, uh, you know, kids get their feelings hurt and mom and dad tell them it's okay no matter what. And that's something that when it relates to racing, they never really learn the difference between right and wrong. And that's something I can control, but, um, you know, it's definitely something different to see in today's age. So Corey, tell us how you got started. Where'd you start out? What'd you start running first? Uh, when I was, uh, I think it was my sixth birthday. My dad got me a go-kart, um, and we just kind of went out to the parking lots because that's when stores were closed on Saturday and Sunday still. So we'd go out to They're closed all the time now, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but permanently. that's beside the point. Um, yeah, we'd go out there and um, I'd just rip laps through whatever, the, you know, all the stalls or they'd have the trolley returns or the, you know, the dividers in it. Um, up until I pushed a little too hard and I spun out and I smoked the cement curb and I blew the rear end out of the thing. <laughs> That's when uh, he decided that it was time to quit messing around there. And he, um, for Christmas, I ended up getting a junior sprint. I started when I was nine. Um, and from there, I just kind of progressed up, you know, in the ranks of micros, moved forward um, until 16. And that was, I think it was more of a, a time, you know, avoiding keeping me busy and keeping my parents busy with me so they didn't have to really worry about me. So, um, basically once I turned 16, it was kind of 
if you still want to do this, you need to go out and find money to help because we can't keep doing it. It was more of a, I think this will be good to keep them busy, but they didn't expect it to go as far as it did. So you were friends with the Swansons, which was yep. hilarious. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, Corey went to the track with us, outdoor suite. Uh, Cody Swanson's there, which, you know, we've been involved with for many years. Great, great guy. Uh, great family. They start talking and I'm like, oh, you guys know each other? And I'm like, oh yeah, man, we used to ramp BMX bikes into Corey's uh, in-ground pool. I'm like, I would kill you. I would kill both of you, all of you that were doing that. It was fun. It was, I mean, we survived. Obviously, Cody was a a good parent, I guess, back then when he was 15 or 16, was <laughs> yeah, not right. letting us do Guardian. His, Yes, not letting us completely kill ourselves. But, you know, we still ended up, somebody got hurt every time. Yeah. Were your parents excited that you were jumping the bikes into the pool, or did they ever know that part? Uh, it was after when, I think, actually, we ended up with a motorcycle in the pool. So okay, here we that go. was... It's easy, yeah, it's easy uh, to fish the bikes out. Yeah, you can fish the bikes out, no problem. But when you got a little dirt bike and you launch it off in there, and then the pool's full of oil and gas, that's a bit harder to hide. <laughs> Black marks down the side of it because the tires. Yeah, that probably wasn't our smartest choice. But I mean, we so, were out there in the rain, draining the pool and scrubbing it clean. Johnny, I read on there that you're a, a third generation racer do you remember your grandfather racing i'm guessing you you uh, probably went with dad a little bit but uh what about gramps he was a dirt track racer he was a farmer and uh he was in the war i think he really wanted to rob banks and drive horses so he uh <laughs> my grandfather's claim to fame was uh he he took a team of hitch horses and a stagecoach and drove his horses all the way from his house to the mexican border and back so um, that's kind of his thing. He send postcards along the way. Uh, everybody has their own little things they want to do, but uh, that was my grandfather's was more on real horsepower. Yeah, so, and I also read that um, one of the things that you've done uh, in the course of your lifetime is, is riding behind one of those mammoth Belgian uh, draft horses with your dad. Absolutely. Um, my family was involved with draft horses a long time. Uh, he grew up on the farm. The horses were a big thing. Uh, you know, mobile advertising was something that, that in the truck stop business, my parents were uh, something they were big on, just like what we do with racing today. Racing has helped build uh, our truck stop business in the state of North Dakota uh, across the country, and they did it with horses as well. So, um, you know, from the time I was young, I think the first time I drove a team of horses was I was five years old at uh, the Denver Stock Show, and uh, we had some pretty good outings over the years. And um, you know, obviously, been kicked in the face by one, and uh, had a lot of fun with it. But uh, there come that time when uh, dirt track racing was uh, what we lived and dreamed, and uh, my parents pretty well parked all the horses, and um, that's what we did was focused on. So the first time you flip a sprint car and you ring your bell, you're like, ah, it's no worse than being kicked in the face. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> immediately where I was going to go with that. Actually, uh, the worst thing about flipping the first time, uh, back then I had one of them electric tear-off machines, and uh, they were plugged in and powered by a phone cord. And I got out, and I didn't unplug it, and I got about 10 foot from the car, and boom, I went straight to the ground and closed it. <laughs> phone cord run out. <laughs> So that wasn't a whole lot of fun. I think that was 
more injured uh, emotionally from that phone cord running out. You know, I remember when I was a kid, all the cool kids had the really, really long phone cord, and I never got a long phone cord, and apparently you didn't either. Yeah, so. yeah well, and the other thing was, remember the tear-offs where it had the pull string? You'd pull oh, the yeah. string on it. Well, hell, that's that's top notch. What he had. The oh yeah, he had the high program. end stuff. Yeah, we didn't have the little the little pull string. Yeah. Yeah. So Donnie, you've done some crazy stuff along the way. Did you yeah. ever, did you ever imagine being in the same company as the Doug Wolfgangs, the Sammy Swindells, the Steve Kinzers? I mean, the absolute kings of the sport, and certainly that is where you're sitting right now. I mean, ten times winning the premier championship with the World of Outlaws, I mean, it, it just doesn't come any bigger than that. And if that's not enough to make somebody believe that you're the best out there right now, the guy to beat, and I'm Brad Sweet might want to argue that, but you know what I'm talking about here. But to say that you've also won Knoxville ten times, I mean, dude, you are absolutely the king as it stands here today. And, uh, and your name is synonymous with those guys, those other kings of the sport. Did you ever think you'd get here? You know, I, when I started all this, um, you can dream as big as you want, but um, I really thought when I saw my name on a t-shirt the first time, I was like, yes, I've made it. But the reality is that doesn't mean a damn thing. Um, you know, you, you can just get in these cars and the, the sheer thrill and excitement uh, is incredible. And it's, it, it means the first couple of times I got in, I said, I'm like, there's no way I'll it's like riding a bull. You don't know what to expect. I've done that too. So, um, <laughs> no, I didn't ever picture even position five years later. I, I um, like I said, you can dream it. Um, I wasted 10 years of my career. Uh, the first 10 years I came out here, I was uh, more worried about playing video games some days and traveling from A to B. Got caught up in the lifestyle and I uh, didn't really pay attention to results focus on what I needed to focus on and um, just had to come to run into the wall one day and say, hey, are you just what you want to do? You want to do this for the next 30 years and just be uh, somebody or are you going to find a way to uh, be better than that? I mean, the, the stats uh, that you continue to rack up are certainly incredible and you won those two titles and uh, I, I'm guessing that really paved the way to open up the door to start driving for Tony. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it opened a lot of doors. It um, started to build a little confidence. And, um, you know, that's something everybody needs a little confidence in and to be able to have time to figure things out. That's, uh, that's the unfortunate part of this sport is everything's going so fast that sometimes it takes a little time and you have to build on things. And, uh, a lot of car owners want results now. And sometimes you think it's the driver change or another change or a chassis change or a switching change. And, uh, there's really five major components that, uh, used to be a big factor in that, and you know, driver took these cars, engine, and tires, and now it actually goes to pick the, the tires as a factor of the same thing. So um, there's one, <laughs> one problem eliminated. Corey, I'm sure you are paying attention to everything this guy's doing out there in uh, in North Dakota, certainly at the racetrack. But you've had a couple of uh, couple of good years. You're picking your way up through there, and I know it's an expensive ride. Certainly, you'd love to be uh, chasing that World of Outlaws championship. Uh, but 2017, you were fortunate enough to grab your first win with, with World of Outlaws. Had to be a special, special night, and did it from the pole. Uh, yeah, you know, as um, you know, Ross, they def, Dennis and Teresa kind of you know took that step. Uh, I guess that leap to kind of give me the opportunity to see if I could 
kind of produce. Um, you know, I, I traveled with Harley Van Dyke a little bit. Um, before that, he kind of was the first one that took me out to Knoxville, and I got to see that and realized I've got a lot of work to do. You know, coming from California, we have one half mile, and I never go to Calistoga. So, um, you know, I was able to win uh, in Stockton. Um, it, it worked out in our favor, and, you know, we, we were still strong through most of the California swing. I think, um, you know, I kind of struggled when I got out Midwest a little bit, and it just took uh, it took some time. Just like, you know, I, I didn't really have the experience – I, mean, I still go to tracks that I've never been to before, and it's like, man, I, I, I try to get caught up quickly. I, you know, the first, uh, the first goal is to figure out where I'm supposed to get on the racetrack and where I'm supposed to get off the racetrack. That'd be good. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because it seems like those tracks in California. You say you have no experience, you know, in the Midwest, or you had no experience, you know, and you're still, still earning that. But the same thing applies for the Midwest guys that go out west. We just did an ASCS race at the beginning of this year at Merced. And boy, I'm telling you, it was a cowboy up <coughs> racetrack. You know, it, it was rough in the beginning. Once you know, once you got to the feature, it wasn't too bad. A couple of holes that you yeah. know, if you didn't have your car set up right, it, it the car was not happy. But there was a top, there was a bottom. It was a racy little quarter mile for sure. But I'll tell you, man, through the through the qualifiers, it was a handful. Being that I'm able to come from California and have the rough, big curb, cowboy up style racetrack um, or mentality. Uh, I think it, it, it's going to help, you know, as the more races I get to run out here and the more opportunities I have, it's, I think as myself, as a driver, it's helped me tremendously just because when we get in those situations where it's a big curb or it's rough hooked up, most of the times, you know, you don't get that out here. So I'm able to say, okay, well, this is what we can do, or this is what I think we need to do. And it's, it's easier for the crew chief to say, okay, yeah, we'll try that just because, you know, that's more of my background than his. So um, you know, it, everyone has to work together, and that seems to be, you know, kind of the, the spot that I can, you know, close in on and bring to the team. When you see somebody like Shots out there and and uh, you have an opportunity maybe to watch him in a heat race or a qualifier or something like that, or you're up on the fence, is that is that a guy you watch? What, what are you looking for? You, you kind of look like I watch all forms of racing, and when you watch all different drivers, it's amazing what he's able to do with the race car as far as when you watch – it could go out there and it could be complete disaster. And you're like, Oh boy. And after two laps it's fixed and you know, he's figured it out. So he's more of a perfectionist. It's, it, you know, it's a lot of people, you know, boo him, don't like him just because he's winning, but they need to realize, you know, this is, this is the Lewis Hamilton of sprint cars. You know, he's a perfectionist, the way he runs the, the car, the way he runs his laps, you know, it's everybody probably idolizes to be able to do what he does in the race car. And I definitely know I do. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to see that there's people that are able to start being a part of that as far as, you know, Brad Sweet, David Gravel, they're, they're getting up there, they're fast, they're consistent, uh, Logan Shuhart, what he's doing with his, it can be fast at, you know, any given time. So it's nice to be able to, to see that, you know, you put your hard work in that you can get there. So, um, every racetrack I go to, you always watch the 15 or the 49. That's just kind of where they run, what they do. It's, you know, you have to watch, you have to learn. And, um, I'm fortunate enough that Kevin is very relaxed as a car owner and he is definitely giving me everything I need to do to win and everything that I need to be out there. So, uh, as far as that, it makes it a lot easier. There's a lot less stress. That way I can focus more on driving the race car instead of figuring out what's going to happen if I lose my ride. 
You know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Harley Van Dyke uh, before, and you did qualify for the A-Main at the Knoxville Nationals in 2017. Congrats on that. Um, struggled on your prelim night, and then had a really good run on the uh, the Hard Knocks Friday night. Finished yep. up fourth and transferred in, right? The top four, I believe, transferred in. But then the story got uh, drastically different come Saturday morning, correct? Um, Saturday, Harley calls and tells me that his daughter was involved in a car accident and she passed away. So he said he has to go to the airport right now. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And I'm, I was just like, well, I mean, you need to go. Like, well, whatever we got to do, don't worry. He's like, well, I want you to race. I remember talking to Harley right after that, after we ran that main. I had uh, the crew guy had him on the phone because <clears throat> we had to run the World Challenge race also. So we were the same car, and uh, he was so excited. He was yelling and screaming in the airport. He said everybody was looking at him, and he was like, he was very emotional, which was good for him because he's never made the Knoxville Nationals, and you know he needed something good. You know, after what he just went through, he needed something good to kind of uplift his spirit and you know keep him going, and that did. And that was that weekend right there was everything for him. Yeah, to receive that phone call, your your daughter passed away, and. I mean, that's just disastrous. And then to turn you guys loose and have you keep chugging forward, I was curious. And that's what I love about this racing community is somebody's going to come over and help you out. They, they won't just let you guys hang out to dry, especially if you've been digging hard and showing that you, you really care and that you want to work hard. And uh, that's why I wanted to bring my son up. That's why I love working in this industry. I wanted <laughs> to bring my son up in this industry because it's loaded with extremely successful people with a really hard work ethic. And, uh, and they're not afraid to come over and help somebody when they need help. When they're down, they, they want to beat you on the racetrack. They, yep. they want to get you out there on that racetrack, you know, and, and then let the cards fall where they, where they may. And, uh, yeah, I, I read that story, and I was like, man, oh, man, that had to be one hell of a weekend. He was going under, you know, unprecedented times. It was the most emotional thing you could possibly go for. I could imagine as you're, you know, a father losing your daughter, your your kid. It's pretty hard to throw some, have somebody throw you a curveball much bigger than that <laughs> one, you know. And whenever you get to the next scenario, you're like, "Yep, nope, uh, been there, done that, man. Well, we made it through, and and we'll do it again." Donnie, so you've uh, you went through a little bit of stuff with uh, with your dad. How's he doing now? He's doing really good. Um, you know, obviously January third of uh, 2019, I was in Australia and. I got a phone call from my sister that he had pancreatic cancer stage four. I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. I uh, started doing some research, and when you get stage four in cancer, most people don't live through it. They told me to stay in race, that's what you do. My heart, my my mind wasn't there. I wasn't, I stayed, but um, it was a long trip home. Um, you know, got with the doctor he needed to, uh, got lined out on chemo. Uh, chemo's adapting his chemo very well. He's kind of normalized. He's doing everything he needs to do. Right now, we got him uh, in an underground bunker at his house, <laughs> trying to stay away from catching this nasty virus going on. So uh, it's been very uh, unlikely to him. But here we are, um, you know, nearly 18 months later. Like I said, he's adapting to it well. Hopefully, he can uh, get out in his motorhome this summer and enjoy some races and enjoy what, uh, what time he's got left. You're talking about the chemo and you're talking about things like that. And of course that's, uh, something that is, uh, you know, very, very, uh, close to me as well with my daughter and leukemia. Uh, you're talking about your dad being, uh, in an underground bunker. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I get it. 
Uh, my daughter just went through bone marrow transplant. Uh, I guess it's been two weeks ago now. Uh, we did receive word uh, two days ago that it's starting to take, that her numbers are going the right way now. But I'm telling you, man, there's nothing guaranteed in life. Um, you know, and, and everything that we've went through with it, I know, I know what you're dealing with. And Ken dealt with something very similar with uh, his, his daughter, Shay, uh, when she was an infant. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're uh, an infant, if you're 28 like my daughter, you know, you're at the age of your father. It, uh, it doesn't give a man it'll come after you and and uh you know the, the the you know i admire you uh you you spending the time and everything out there and making that time i i you know i you know not to get on the get on the downside of things but you know i lost my dad in 2011 and my oldest brother all within the same month and you know there isn't a day that i don't think about it you know and and to go through this with my uh with my oldest daughter has been, has been, it, you know, that I say that those incidents, you know, those things with my brother and my dad definitely, uh, defined me. It, ch it changed me. It changed my life. And, and then when this whole thing happened with my daughter, it, it definitely opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of things didn't really mean as much as you really thought they did. So I, uh, yeah, I hope your old man can get out there and, and uh and and uh get doing his thing out on the out on the road i know you guys have spent many years out there doing that and uh and uh you know uh maybe you can help Corey win more races in australia since you won all of yours and he barely could win one of his <laughs> you know i was listening to the dennis story and i you, you didn't have to tell me that that was Dennis, and I could have told you it was, but you should have just said, hey, Dennis, hold my beer. Go stand in the infield. Make sure it's cold when we get out there. I'll <laughs> God, if I could have that much confidence, when I, you know, you, you just don't know what uh, what to expect. So that the confidence, usually I can be, you know, kind of a smart ass at most times um, or at my worst time, you know. So um, I just didn't know really what to say. I'm just like, yep, yeah, okay, well, I'll see you after the – after the checkered, I'll meet you down there. And that's all I did, put my helmet on, and I'm like, dear Lord, I hope that's over. <laughs> hey, you know, Donnie, that, that's actually a great question. When do you uh, – let's see if you can – I don't know if you can pinpoint it, but there's probably a time in your career where you go from feeling like Corey is right now. Corey wants to be – he wants to deliver. He wants to be really respectful. He's going to go out there and scrap. He's going to fight as hard as he knows how to fight. But he doesn't have that confidence that you have when you walk out there onto that track and you get in that car, you you sit down in that car and you're like, yep, the rest of these bastards better look out because I'm here to <laughs> kick some ass tonight. And and at some point in time, that switch flips and you've got that confidence. And when you get in the car, man, it's worth at least four or five spots right off the bat. Well, Corey's delivering. He's doing a great job. I mean, I, I know where he grew up in California and it, it takes a different uh, different mindset than what you're, you know, racing California tracks all the time. And believe me, I was the same way. I, you know, I did a, had a lot of things when I was younger. I just wanted to race wide open all the time. And, um, you know, it was put to me once. Uh, do you ever see the Knoxville Nationals with wide open on the football cushion or the King's Royal? I mean, uh, those races that pay all the money aren't that, you know, and that, that makes or breaks your whole year. But uh, there's no substitute for experience. And 
Florida's getting to that point where he's getting more and more experience and he's doing a phenomenal job. I think what they're what they've done was going and running the All Star deal. Um, you know, getting the race those races and the outlaw races. You can go do both. I think it's it's probably a, a better scenario than being locked down to one national touring series like uh, the World of Outlaws, where you're guaranteed the 95 nights. Because uh, the problem with that is when you're trying to race 95 nights a year for a championship or points or whatever, there's no reset button. Everybody's going to go through a stage where something doesn't happen right or you're tearing up cars or you're doing this. But you can't hit pause or up, up, down, down, VA, select, start like you could in Super Mario Brothers back in the day. And you start where you want to. You know, it's everybody pretty much has to do it on the road from, from motel parking lot to motel parking lot. And with a group of guys that get this strong when things don't go right. So um, there, there's no substitute for that. So when you can go and not be committed to something, I think it's your best opportunity to, to get the most experience. And obviously it's working well for them because I don't see anybody else uh, in Corey's position right now that's doing any better job than me. Yeah, solid effort last year, by the way. Congratulations, top three okay. there in All-Stars and a couple of wins along the way. Rookie of the year, yeah, All-Stars. I mean, dude, uh, I agree with you. I, mean, you know, uh, I think one of only three guys, the top three guys, to make the feature every night and 40, 40 features um, along the way. And then an amazing number of rainouts. And there were 20 rainouts last yeah. year, which is unbelievable, unheard of, really. But um, still a, a great effort there, man, for sure. Congratulations. So how'd you run at Volusia this year? <sighs> you know what? I'm I'm going to let you off the hook here. Let's 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 let the fans know that you were on you were on the podium three of the first four races. So okay, now you can talk about Belusia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want that damn Gator. That's all I want. <laughs> One lap. That's it. But that's what that's what gets you the drive to keep coming back for one more and one more. lap from the gator. Yeah. Well, that's why. Hopefully next year. I mean, it's you know you always find those. I'm sure Diane's saying that you know, there's those tracks that it's like I, I just want to win here. I, I mean, it's not he's won at probably most all of them, but there's still you know those those tracks that I just have to win. I finally won at Port Royal, and that was really cool over a month ago, probably now. But I still... Was that when, was that when Kevin didn't even know you were racing? Uh, yes, that is when he didn't even know that we were <laughs> racing. Um, he called his car owner to tell him he won. He goes, oh, hell, I didn't even know you were running. Yeah. But you know, it's still, you know, Eldora, um, Volusia, there's just something. Calistoga, I wanted to win there forever. I only was able to run there twice. So that was cool. And then the next time I was there in a wing car was the Outlaw Show um, that we ended up winning, thankfully, for a uh, yellow that came out that uh, gave me the lead back when I slipped out of the rubber. And uh, that, I think it was green at that time. Uh, 15 come right by me. <laughs> They'll race through three and four and down to the white flag. Donnie Schatz has one lap to make it up, and they touch on a turn four. And the caution flag waves for Brent Marks, who stops in turn and will maintain the race lead. Eliason, three car lanes in front of shots, expands 
Don, you remember that uh, that uh, happening? I do. It's, uh, I almost know anymore when the yellow comes out, I'm not going to gain a spot or retain a spot either way. So <laughs> it just happens that way when you race enough and you're in that position enough. You just, you, if you get, it seems like you get stuck in a worse spot where you, you know, you, you get all worked up about it. So I try not to get worked up about it. Listen, we know that you've got a you've got a family there. You're hanging out with and everything, and yeah, we get you here in the area, get you back here in uh, in the neighborhood. We got to get you in the studio, and and we'll do this whole thing again, man. Yeah, we'll bring you and the boss in and and pound him in. Oh, we got some good telling stories. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's I got on. lots of good, I got lots of good Tony stories. <laughs> You're in. You're in. <laughs> All right, Donnie. Have a good one, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Thank, thank you, guys. Corey, back to you. And so, how many shows were you to run this year? What do you know? What the number was? I think it was 108 before that stopped at Trophy Cup. Before all this, you know, it happened. What did you run last year? Do you remember? 83. Wow. Added, yeah, that was my, added quite a few. That was my biggest year. Yeah, I mean, up until it's a it's tough to, you know, say the numbers because people don't believe it. But up until Harley, you know, took me out on the road in 2017, um, I think the most the most I was able to race a sprint car in one year was 25 nights. Talk about because uh, now you've seen both sides of it. You know, the the team or the driver that doesn't have the bu- the big budget to go out there and run the better part of 100 times a year, you get in the car 20 times, and you kind of remember what that was like, and maybe it takes the first the first practice session or two to kind of shake the rust off, try to figure out what's going on. And you're exactly what you just said. You're more reactive than proactive. It's like, okay, the car did this. So I need to fix this rather than I think the track is going to do this. Let's go here with the car, you know, to get ahead of it versus the same guy that you have been now climbing in the car 80 times in a year where now it's just like walking down the sidewalk. I mean, before it's like, man, oh, finally I'm back in the car, and now it's like, boom, I'm in this thing again. I just did this a few days ago. I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's um, that's probably been the biggest part of helping my experience. Laps are everything out there. Um, you know, this up until we had this pandemic, um, I had a three-week break, I think, from the time I quit racing in the States till I went over to Australia I went and raced in Australia, come back, run all of Florida, run Volusia and East Bay, then East Bay 360s. And that Sunday, I flew out and flew back to Australia. Yeah, and it's no easy task down there. I, of course, you know, rib on you about it. But, I mean, it's people don't get it. You know, one, you're a stranger in a strange land, even if you've been there three, four years, right? Yep. But you're a stranger in a strange land. You've got a different group of people that you're working with. It's totally different than the people you work with all year for 80-whatever races. There's more teams there that have the nice rigs, have all the good equipment, that oh, race yeah. as much as they can. Than they're there is they're absolutely crazy about it over there. Yeah. I mean, like, that is their, if there were, that is their NASCAR IndyCar yep. deal. You know, there's a lot of good talent down there, and it's still nice that there's still teams that want to bring drivers from America over to still race. Thanks, brother. Yes, thank you. Well, we're going to wrap it up here, Carl. and give you the rest of the day off. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Skinny. To watch the video versions of all of our shows, please visit our YouTube channel, Fatheads TV. 
Be sure to check out all the latest sun and optical eyewear at fatheads.com. Special thanks to our sponsorship partners at Elliott's Custom Trailers and Carts. This has been a production of Fathead Studios. Please remember to subscribe. Subscribe.